But tonight we come to Galatians chapter 6, and we read verses 11 through 18, bringing to a conclusion our brief survey of the book of Galatians we have been doing together on Sunday evenings. Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. Let's briefly pray. Our Father, as we come to the conclusion of this wondrous book in which we, we see so clearly the, the cross and its meaning, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of Christ alone, we ask that you will take these verses and apply them deeply to our hearts. And Father, even on a Sunday evening such as this, there may be someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, and we pray that that one also will be drawn to Jesus through the magnificence of the cross of Christ, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 6, beginning with verse 11. This is the word of God. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world." For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. We come again to a passage that deals with the magnificence of the cross of Christ And as I read verse 14, I cannot help but remember the authorized version in which I memorized this as a child. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Jesus Christ my Lord, by whom the world has been crucified unto me and I unto the world. You know, the Judaizers who were disturbing the churches that had been established by Paul as he had preached free and sovereign grace to them, We're teaching salvation through Jesus, yes, but Jesus plus circumcision, plus keeping certain days, plus keeping the law of God. What the Apostle Paul has been teaching consistently through the epistle is that there is no ordinance that may be placed uh, before the cross. No ordinance can take the place of the cross. No ordinance in the place of what Jesus has done for us, whether it is circumcision or a special day or whatever it may be. And there is no moral effort that can take the place of the cross of Jesus Christ. No good work that we perform or think that we perform. Indeed, this was the whole problem with the Judaism of Paul's day. He tells us in Romans 10 verse 3, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And the righteousness that he has in mind there is the righteousness to which he refers in the very first chapter and unpacks as he moves along in Romans, which is the the imputed righteousness of Christ, that righteousness that is legal and forensic that is imputed to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Well, the Jew was attempting to establish his own righteousness and did not submit to this gospel of righteousness that Paul the Apostle preached 
and has been revealed throughout in the sacred scriptures. You know, it's a magnificent thing, the cross of Christ, and so can you imagine putting anything in the place of the cross of Christ? Anything at all, anything, any person, anything whatsoever, any philosophy, any morality, any view of life in place of the cross of Christ, and yet this is precisely what the Judaizers were attempting to do. And I'm afraid it is what we also are tempted to do in many, many ways. Listen, it is your pastor's daily labor to keep the cross central, uh, to walk in the old paths of the old biblical theology. Uh, Jeff and I have no use for theology so-called that is based on modern presuppositions. And oh, that my life were more cross-driven, more cross-determined, that the cross were staked more deeply in the very center of my heart and in my soul. That's what I want, to walk consistently with the cross, and that's what your pastors want for you as well. To put it another way, as Paul does here, we want and we want you to boast in the cross of Christ. And so the first thing we see as we come to this text is the theme of boasting, the theme of boasting. That's first. First of all, he speaks of boasting in the flesh. Paul's opponents advocated circumcision in order that they might be justified thereby to make a good showing in the flesh, he says in verse 12, which is a reference to circumcision. All he says here, he draws attention to in verse 11 when he says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. He means that very literally, large letters. The Apostle Paul at this point wrote in large letters because he wanted them to see, to understand, to grasp the conclusion of the matter. He wants them and he wants us, as he tells us that he wrote with large letters to see the importance of what he has been teaching to the churches of Galatia. So he emphasizes the theme of the cross of Christ, and he wants us to see it. Now they, that is the party of the circumcision, teach circumcision because they were boastful. They wanted to boast in what they did. They wanted to boast before certain people, but their deepest motive, says Paul the Apostle, is that they wanted to avoid persecution. He tells us that in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They didn't want to be persecuted for the offense of the gospel. Now remember that Judaism had official sanction in the ancient Roman Empire. And so as long as Christianity is counted as Judaism, then there would be no persecution. But Paul the Apostle, as he preaches the cross of Christ, and as it becomes more and more apparent that Christianity is not the prevailing Judaism, but the fulfillment of the true Judaism of the Bible that teaches grace alone through the work of Christ alone, then it would be recognized by the empire as a distinct and separate religion and therefore open to persecution. And so because they wanted to avoid persecution... They were attempting to retain that Judistic flavor throughout Christianity, to compromise Christianity so that it would be blended with circumcision and ordinances and days of observance. It is offensive to be told that we contribute nothing to our salvation. It is offensive to be told that it is in the cross of Christ alone that we are saved. It is offensive to be told 
that it is through the blood of Jesus and Jesus only that we can be redeemed from our sins. It is offensive to be told that we are justified not by anything we do, but only by what Christ has done for us. The world is very accepting of moral systems. It is very accepting of religions. It is very accepting of philosophical viewpoints. But it is not accepting of the intolerance of the Christian faith and of a Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The world is not tolerant of a Christian faith that comes with its exclusivity and says it is through Christ and His cross and His shed blood alone that you can be saved. Otherwise, you are condemned forever in your sins. You cannot preach the cross of Christ that way and avoid the world's reproach. Paul has already said this in verse 11 of chapter 5, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? And so you cannot avoid persecution if you preach straight the cross of Christ. Even the false teachers did not observe the law. He says that in verse 13, they were not consistent themselves, and who could be? For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. That is to say, by circumcision. They did not understand the law's demands. They did not understand that the law of God comes against us with its perfection and brings its curse. And that the only way in which that curse can be removed from us is by a Christ who went to a cross and bore the penalty on the cross to remove that curse from us. They wish to boast in your flesh, he says in verse 13. They were concerned not with the gospel, not with good news, not with grace, but with counting converts to their cause. And so that's boasting in the flesh. As over against boasting in the flesh, the Apostle Paul contrasts boasting in the cross when he says in verse 14, but far be it from me to boast, except in this one thing you see I will boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. What you boast in is what you trust. What you boast in is that upon which you rely. If you boast in your intellect, if you boast in your accomplishments, if you boast in your achievements, if you boast in your morality, if you boast in your supposed good works, if you boast in your ceremonies, if you boast in these things, if that is the thing that preoccupies your heart so that you are boasting and glorying in those things, those are the things you trust and none of those things can save. Either salvation is by human achievement or it is by grace alone. It cannot be by human achievement because no one can keep the law but Christ who came and kept it and paid the penalty for us. He's already told us back in chapter 2, verse 21, which is a key verse in Galatians, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification, remember that means acceptance with God in His court of law, if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If you could be saved by what you do, why did Christ come? If you could be saved by your own works and efforts and your own religion and your own philosophy or your own moral presuppositions, then why would it be necessary that Christ come to save us from our sins? And so he contrasts boasting in the flesh and boasting in the cross. And we will see this boasting as we move along in the text. So that's first, this theme of boasting. The second thing we see as we look at this portion of Galatians, the second thing is, what does Paul mean by the cross? 
If he says here, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, it behooves us to pause for a moment and to remind ourselves what Paul means when he says cross. Yes, of course, he means that piece of wood upon which the Lord Jesus Christ hung and suffered and bled and died in the place of sinners and shed his precious blood for us. He means that. But as he thinks of that, of that, of that wooden cross upon which the Lord Jesus Christ died, the Apostle Paul in so many places would have us to understand that there is an exhibition of God's attributes, of God, God's character in the sacrifice of Jesus. We can see every attribute of God in one way or another revealed in the cross of Christ, but let's focus upon righteousness. For the Apostle Paul does in many places, especially in Romans 3. That is to say, God is absolutely holy and his law is absolutely righteous. We cannot meet the standard. Christ went to the tree and there he died for sinners in order to pay the penalty that we owed so that he might be just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. Do you see, no one has ever been saved without thorough, complete, personal, complete, I mean complete, utterly complete, obedience to the law of God. You and I can't do that. But the God-man, the second person of the Trinity who came into this world and took upon himself flesh, he obeyed that law that we broke. And he alone could pay its penalty by his own shed blood on the cross. The righteousness of God is seen in Christ as a propitiatory sacrifice, as the wrath of God that I deserved upon me for my sins was poured out upon him in my place. There we see the righteousness of God, the attributes of God glorified in the cross. We see the love of God, or we see the love of God manifested in sending a Savior to redeem us from our awful sins. We could go through all of the attributes of God They are exhibited on the cross of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul means that. When the Apostle Paul says cross, he also always has in mind, always, substitutionary atonement. He means vicarious atonement. He means Christ in my place. Christ actually substituting himself so that he might bear the curse, so that he might pay the penalty in the place of sinners like you and me. He actually went to the cross and bore the sins of his people. So back in chapter 3, around verse 13, when the Apostle Paul is focusing upon the theme of justification, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ, the substitutionary atonement, for sinners. But also he has in mind the removal of sin by sacrifice or the great doctrine of justification which has been the prevailing theme in the book of Galatians as it is in a large portion of the book of Romans and in other places in scripture. Whereby we are to understand that we are accepted into the presence of God not on the basis of anything we do but through the work of Christ And that work we receive by faith alone. It is the imputation of our sin to Christ, our guilt to Christ. And it is the imputation of his perfect righteousness to his people. 
not simply as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, but the righteousness of Christ is really and truly forensically mine, so that as a believer I now stand in the presence of God in the righteous record, the perfect record of Jesus Christ. You know, when I was a boy, I struggled with that text in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I was a 13-year-old reading the Bible and struggling to understand what that text meant, prayed for light, worked through that text, read everything I could upon it, and it gradually, gradually came to my mind, and I came to understand that this is God's moral universe, and that the Lord can do what we cannot, and that He really has so ordered His universe that my guilt and sin can be placed on the record of Jesus Christ as He hangs upon a cross, and that the perfect righteousness of Christ can really be imputed to me so that I truly receive his perfect record as my own. I thought that was the most marvelous thing I'd ever heard, and I still do. I know of nothing so great as that, and I hope you never tire of it, because it is the foundation of our faith, the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now, in the Roman world, says F.F. Bruce, the Roman world, cross, was unmentionable in polite Roman society. Even when one was being condemned to death by crucifixion, the sentence used an archaic formula which served as a sort of euphemism. That is to say, in a Roman court, they wouldn't use the word cross. They would say, hang him on the unlucky tree. That was the Roman world. Paul not only used the unmentionable word cross, but he glories in the cross. He boasts in the cross, and he boasts in the cross nothing, nothing, nothing else. And so he says in verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in, that is to say alone in, only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Judaizers would have said, we boast in the cross of Jesus But we also want you to be circumcised and we want you to observe special days so that you may be acceptable to God. The Apostle Paul says, no, to truly boast in the cross is to boast in the cross alone for the redemption from our sins. This word boast, it means to glory in, it means exultation, it's the idea of commitment, it brings with it also the idea of exhilaration. We should be, with the Apostle Paul, exhilarated as we think of the greatness and grandeur of the cross of Christ. We should boast in it. And so to take this word boast and couple this with the word cross in the Roman world was simply, it was simply something that would hit the ear of the Roman as, as unconscionable. How can you take the word cross and, and couple it with the word boast? And yet that is what Paul does and that is what every true believer in Christ does as well. We boast in the truth and reality that a crucified Jew bore our sins and paid our penalty and freed us from hell forever. So I ask you this question. Could it be that the weakness, the present weakness 
of the so-called evangelical church in our time, in our land today, could it be primarily found right here? That we boast in all sorts of things, but we do not boast in the cross. This morning I pointed out to you how in many an evangelical church, or at least professedly evangelical church, false views of the atonement, old heresies are again taking the place of the true doctrine of the atonement, which is substitutionary atonement. Could it be? Indeed, I think the answer is certainly that the weakness of the church is found here. Could it also be, however, that the weakness that we sometimes find in our own Christian lives is found here? That our focus is everywhere but on the cross. We boast in everything but the cross. We're curved in upon ourselves. We're concerned with self. We're concerned with all sorts of things, but we are not cross-centered. We are not Christ-centered. My friends, let us change. Let us believe, let us repent, and let us do it now. So that by the grace of God, we as Christian people and part of this congregation become centered on the cross and boast and boast and boast in the cross of Christ. You have lunch with someone. The most difficult thing to do when you have lunch with a fellow Christian is not to dwell upon your problems and your personal needs and the things that burden your heart. Now, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't do that. There are times where that is absolutely the right thing to do as long as the focus is under the focus of the cross. But let me suggest this. Meet with a friend sometime and let this be the ground rule. We're not going to talk about any problems. We're going to boast in the cross. Do you think you could do it? Do you think you could meet for an hour over a cup of coffee and the whole time you're there, you do nothing but glorify Jesus? What better, what better Christians, what stronger Christians we would be if that were our focus? And you know what? The problems that we have wouldn't seem so large after all when we recognize what Jesus endured to pay the penalty of our sins, would they? Third thing, the cross and the world. The cross and the world. The Apostle Paul says, Be it far from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. By world, Paul means everything that is outside of Christ in which we are tempted to put our trust and find our identity. It's really the functional equivalent of the present evil age from which we have been delivered that he's already told us about in chapter 1, verse 4. Do you remember that? He once boasted in those things himself. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians, the third chapter? He talks about himself, what he used to be like. And there the Apostle says, beginning in verse 3 of Philippians 3, For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted loss... For the sake of Christ, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The Apostle Paul once boasted 
in the flesh. But now he does not boast in the world, but he boasts in the cross. Now, he says, to be in union with Christ means that for us the world is dead. You've come to understand the meaning of life by the crucifixion of Christ. I'm dead to the world, the world is dead to me. This, of course, he has already focused upon in verse 20 of chapter 2, when he said, it is no longer I who live. I've been crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says the cross determines all of life. It determines who I am. It is my new identity. Leon Morris says beautifully, his acceptance of the crucified Christ, Paul's acceptance of the crucified Christ, was not simply an, in, an interesting episode. It was a death to a whole way of life and rising to a new mode of existence. So Paul is saying, I do not boast in the world. I do not find my salvation in the world. I do not have the same values as the world. The world has no control over me, and in that sense, I am dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. We were singing tonight that beautiful hymn just prior to the preaching of the word, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. But you know, for some reason, the best verse, or at least one that I consider the best, has been dropped out of our hymnals. We never sing it anymore. Have you ever heard it? His dying crimson, like a robe, spreads o'er his body on the tree. Then I am dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. You see, the hymn writer is dwelling upon this text. I am dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. Why don't we sing it? We're just going to have to put together our own hymnal one of these days. So he says, that being the case... Christ has come. He went to the cross. It is the cross that defines reality for me now. Everything is new. Everything is different because I've come to know Jesus as my Savior. And so he says, circumcision doesn't mean anything. Uncircumcision, it means nothing. There's a new motive for living. And that motive, he says, is a new creation. Look at it there, verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. It's the thought that parallels actually virtually the same words that we find in 2 Corinthians 5 in which the Apostle Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. The cross then makes the circumcision question null and void since God has intruded the age to come and we are possessors of this heavenly reality. Now, Fourth point, resolve to glory only in the cross. I mean you and me, resolve to glory only in the cross. Because Paul is saying in this passage, it is by this new standard that Christians are to evaluate life and all things. He gives two blessings then as he brings this to conclusion. And in the first of the two blessings, he stresses this new standard of evaluation. Did you see it in verse 16? And as for all who walk by this rule, by that he means this new standard of evaluation, that the old has gone, the new has come, that there's a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. 
And so this new rule, the word is canon, by which the believer measures all things. You measure all things now, not by your sin, not by your failure, not by your triumphs or successes, but by the triumph of the cross. The triumph of the crucified determines all things for you and for me. And nothing is to be excluded from this measurement. Your marriage, your sexual conduct, your choices, your business ethics, everything is to be determined, whatever it may be, by this new reality of the cross of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. And so he points to the ongoing application of this standard of life by using a future tense, literally, he says, to all those who will keep in line with this rule, invoking peace and mercy upon them. Now, verse 16 in the ESV, if you'll look at it, says this, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. My own translation from the Greek text is, Peace and mercy be upon them, that is upon the Israel of God. You see the difference? Not and the Israel of God, but that is the Israel of God. This little word chi that can mean and, it can mean all sorts of things, including that is. It's epexegetical, we say. Paul is not blessing two distinct groups. That's my point. First, those who boast in the cross and then Israel. As if Israel could boast anything other than the cross and expect God's peace and mercy. Dispensationalists may speak of two peoples of God, Israel and the church, but Paul insists that those who belong to Christ are Abraham's seed. And those whose link to Abraham is only according to the flesh, he has told us clearly, are slaves and not heirs. The entire church then, Jew and Gentile, is God's Israel. That's what he's saying. You are the Israel of God upon which there is, there is now proclaimed peace and mercy. Then he gives another benediction. He gives two benedictions. And he concludes by telling us in verse 17. Now look at it. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. In other words, let no one continue this argument, but heed what I say. Look at my body. Can't you see the marks in my body, the stigmata, literally, in my body, the wounds that I acquired while preaching the gospel of Christ? Don't you remember that some of these were cut by the lictors, In Pisidian Antioch and in Lystra, you saw them on my body. Now stop this, Paul's saying. Stop it. Just stop it. It's enough. Enough of this. No more of this salvation by works. Let my wounds point you to the deeper wounds of the cross of Jesus. Let my suffering for the gospel call you once again to the cross of Christ who suffered and bled and died in order that we might be saved by His sufficient sacrifice. Let my wounds bring us back to the infinitely more significant wounds of Jesus, to His cross in which we are called to glory. Then the second benediction found in verse 18, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
brothers. Amen. It has all had its source in grace. Grace from first to last. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And he still calls them brothers because he believes they're going to respond to his message that calls them back from their temptation to follow after the works righteousness of the Judaizers. Now let's bring it to a close. And let me say two things. First, for your life, if you are an unbeliever here, you don't know Christ, come to Jesus. Come to his cross. What value is the world's judgment? Trust him. Depend upon him. Depend upon his cross and upon the one who was raised by the power of God from the dead. There is the intrusion of eternity into time. And if you trust in Christ, you belong to that eternity which is to come. And you will walk by a new rule. You won't do so perfectly, but you will do so progressively. You will understand more and more that the cross of Jesus is the new rule that determines how you view everything. And if you are an unbeliever, you desperately need to view things from this new point of view. Believer, glory in the cross. Bring everything into its shadow. Live beneath the cross of Jesus. Live according to this new way of seeing and this new way of living. For the church as a whole, resist any compromise of the cross of Jesus Christ. You should hear from this pulpit the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. It's the core issue. You should hear constantly from your ministers, from your elders, from your deacons, the theme of the cross. We should be doing that one with another. Resist any theological deviation from the truth and reality of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Resist in your lives any compromise of the cross of Jesus Christ. You remember the opening verses of the book. When the Apostle Paul is appalled by their defection, when he says in verse 6 and following, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. When the gospel is at stake, the Apostle Paul says, let that person be anathema. You know what that means? Damned. The Apostle Paul pulls no punches when the gospel is at stake, when the cross is at stake. And he's saying to the church, you defend that gospel and you keep that cross in the center. Theologically, and of course as that theology is applied to life, may your blood boil at modern theology based on modern presuppositions that set aside the clear teaching of Scripture on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Lift high the cross, brothers and sisters. Lift high the cross of Christ. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Jesus Christ my Lord, by whom the world has been crucified unto me, and I unto the world.